0: If you have an unquenchable thirst to crush your bucket list, relentlessly pursue your dreams, and live life on your own terms, then turn up the volume and tune in. You're now listening to Zef and Moses Blacksburg on the Year of Purpose podcast. This episode of the Year of Purpose is brought to you by our brand new book, Life Rescripted. Find your purpose and design your dream life before the curtains close. If you want to be the first in line to receive a free digital copy from me, all you have to do is head on over to www.liferescriptedbook.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Zef Blacksburg from the Year of Purpose podcast, and today I am joined by U.S. Army Captain, retired Hans C. Mum, now Dr. Hans C. Mum. Was a Mustang, serving eight years in the enlisted ranks and over eight years as an officer before becoming a wounded warrior and medically discharged in 2010. Leadership is his passion and has been the key to his success. He's a dynamic speaker through a range of topics, including leadership, drone and UAV issues, advanced technology, future challenges, as well as the human trafficking phenomena, and the challenge of human communication. Through a variety of positions in multiple U.S. government agencies, Dr. Mum has has seen the value of leadership and the need to embrace change and not fight for the status quo. He has been able to achieve success because of his time management choices, his peer group, and focusing on the long term. And I didn't want to ruin like the rest of your bio so we can share some things here today. So I skipped over a couple pieces and I'm sure we'll get into it momentarily. But how are you doing today?
1: No worries. I'm doing outstanding. Are you kidding? I woke up in the freest country of the world nobody's shooting at me today. It's a great day, don't you think?
0: My grandfather always says I'd rather be vertical than horizontal. Absolutely. (laughs) So tell me just a little bit, you know, you shared right before we jumped on the call, but I'd love to hear some of your history just uh, with the military uh, and maybe, you know, a couple of your experiences that have led to, uh, you know, speaking on leadership and how to become a good leader today.
1: Well, I'll uh, uh, thank you first for having me on on your show. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, my my roots started more in the uh, humble days of being in uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, you know, my family has always been in the military in different ways. Uh, my dad was in during nam We lost an uncle to Nam. Uh, my great-grandfather is actually Brigadier General Yalmer Erickson. He was the first commanding general of the Buffalo Soldiers. So uh, service has always been in my in my family and in my blood. Um, I never uh, imagined in in my entire life that I would do uh, almost 17 years in the army and I would end up in combat multiple times. So it's a little bit different of a path. But where that path led me, though, was to find that, you know, the need for for leadership in the human spirit is there. Uh, People want to be led. I want to be led by great leaders. Uh, the people that I've dealt with want to be led by great leaders. And what I've, what I've discovered over time, which is part of where the book is, uh, it goes into is looking at the idea of, of freeing that human spirit and allowing that, that spirit to be able to grow uh, and, and be led, but be led in a way that they feel uh, not only comfortable, but they feel safe. Uh, people will go out and do more for you. Um, if you allow them to so one of the the big uh, uh, issues that we have right now in today's society is, is that uh, we we get into um, uh, situational leadership and we also uh, uh, Put people under our thumbs and and the challenge is that when you micromanage people The only thing you're going to get is the result you micromanage, too um, If you allow people uh, more of the nonlinear non-authoritarian uh, self-organized entities uh they will amaze you
0: yeah so i have found uh just in my experiences uh obviously not nearly uh as large of an experience as yours with with leading a group of people but um you know through high school i was in a youth group as a leader uh you know in college in a fraternity and also uh as an employee at the recreation center i led you know 300 student staff um, I guess I want to kind of start out with uh, the question of which came first, the chicken or the egg. Do you think that people can be born as leaders uh, or is this something where you know either a situation comes along and they're thrust into a leadership role or they, they learn these uh, abilities over
1: time? So I think the, the answer to your question really is, is both. Um, there are some natural born leaders out there. Uh, you know, whether you love or hate politics really doesn't matter. Uh, we do have some natural born leaders out there. Uh, uh you know, uh, president Obama, uh, he can rally people to his cause very easily. Uh, so we see the, the leaders that are there. So some of these leaders are born. Um, so you've seen leaders uh, throughout history that they come up through the ranks and, and you think, well, you know, did somebody like guide this person? How, how in the world did, you know, Schwarzkopf become, uh, you know, an incredible general and, and a leader? How did uh, uh, Colin Powell, um, who ended up, you know, he was wounded many, many times. Uh, he had a, a very difficult uh, um, upbringing. How did this man become such a leader? So, I would say that in, in a lot of ways, some of those people, yeah, they were, they were born leaders, but they need mentors around them. They need people around them to bring that out. Um, I think that it's, it's basically, uh, both situational uh, as well as mentorship or people around you. Um, I will tell you my personal quick story, which is, um, you know, I had a, a Fulbert Colonel, uh, Colonel Servinsky. I was not enlisted when 9 11 occurred. Um, he saw more in me than I saw in me and, uh, pushed me to, uh, accept a direct commission, which I found out later, only 10% of the U S military has ever been directly commissioned. Uh, he pushed me to be a leader. So it was both situational as well as mentor. He mentored me to be a leader, but now I was pushed into a situation where nine 11 occurred and I had to lead.
0: I, and so that's that's a very interesting scenario there where uh, you're kind of thrust into that role, but I'm sure that many people have the skills to kind of take it on head first and, and not really run into many issues there. Um, I guess my question from here is is kind of, you know, did you have any other situations, uh, especially, you know, during the war where... Uh, you've experienced other people who have tried to rise to the challenge and for some reason or another it just hasn't worked and and what do you think they could have done differently um because not everybody can can rise up and have somebody follow them like you said obama it's very easy for him but i'm sure there's other people where uh you know if if i go here's a great example you know i live in baltimore and if i just go walk downtown And all these protesters are outside the courthouse, you know, and and Black Lives Matter and all these situations going on. And I just start to yell and scream and try to get people to listen to me and pay attention. They're probably not going to, you know. So so have you ever found certain situations where it's extremely hard to become a leader, uh, you know, whether it's the situation or the group that you're trying to lead and and
1: what could be done better? So uh, I actually have a perfect one for this one. So uh, at the beginning of, uh, of the Iraq war, uh, I ended up uh, volunteering to, to come on active duty. And at the time, uh, I was with a unit that was over with the Defense Intelligence Agency. And uh, I was updating a database. I was not doing anything exciting. Uh, I didn't feel that I was contributing at all. I felt that I was showing up. Uh, For no good purpose. And I had a group of enlisted uh, around me who actually knew me when I was enlisted and as an officer, and they felt the same way. And what I did was, you know, I I tried to work through some of the chain of command, you know, I I really want to do something different. How do I actually contribute? And it just wasn't working. Uh, because I found that, you know, some of the, the, uh, the command structures, uh, especially military and the civilian world with the government, you know, they get a little more worried about their careers than they do, you know, the, the situation. And so what I did was I, I grabbed up a a group of guys and I said, guys, I said, do you like what you're doing? And they said, no, (laughs) I said, okay. I said, uh, um, let's go change the world. And they said, well, what do you want to do? And I, I did go and talk to my command and, and sort of got almost the permission to do, uh, to, to go off and do crazy things. And w- my deal with them was, <clears throat> was that we were going to create intelligence products that were going to change the world. Now, that's a, that's a pretty big statement. And, you know, I'm a little second lieutenant nobody, um, you know, sitting at a desk, and what I did was I grabbed up these guys and and the spark in their eyes when they heard that they that they were going to get an opportunity to go and change the world. It was incredible. So next thing you know, I mean, we're not working 12 hour days. We're working 15, 20 hour days and we don't care because they're they're so hungry for that leadership. They're so hungry to go and do great things. So what we ended up doing was we created several different products and one of the more um, famous or infamous, depending on the way you look at it, is uh, the Iraqi regime playing cards with Saddam as the Ace of Spades. So our group put that out um, and that was not always loved by everybody uh, uh, up and down through the chain uh, because I did not go through the normal chain of command uh, in order to do that. What that did, though, is it galvanized me as a leader. Uh, with, with the folks that I, I dealt with and with other people around me who said, oh, well, look at this guy. He was willing to take a risk. He was willing to step out. And his rank is completely meaningless because he didn't let that stop him at all. So I think when you look at, at certain you know leadership traits, you have to, to look. And, of course, one of them is risk. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Now, keep in mind that I did get in a little bit of trouble uh, for doing that. However, uh, you know, when it, um, you know, when it went on to the international stage and, and became a, a, a big hit and it worked uh, very well and it was um, it was culturally sensitive as well. I know that sounds a little strange, but, uh, you know, like the jokers were actually instructions to the troops mm-hmm. because I wasn't trying to, to make it a laughing matter to go and, and deal with this. This was something that, that, you know, our president and our Congress decided we needed to go do. We're a civilian-controlled military. What I do is I support them. So, to be able to take that and and really understand how do we do this, you know, how do we make this uh, into something that is great? And now, you know, the myself and my team sit in almost every uh, major military museum in the entire world.
0: Wow. So I think that so- at some point you kind of have to create that disturbance, you know, if you're trying to make a change. <clears throat> I mean, that was something that. You know, I even saw just on a corporate retail level back when I was working for Apple, I mean, I I went to the managers and the people above me and I, I saw, you know, just issues that were going on that could have easily been fixed and how we could have enhanced customers' experiences. And you'd think that a, a company like Apple would really care about that stuff. I mean, they are all about the experience. That's why there were Apple stores long before there were Windows stores. You know, the, it was all about the experience. And so when I found that I couldn't or they weren't going to allow me to advance the way in which I had hoped I could, uh, that's where you kind of have to create that disturbance. And so for me, it was leaving. uh, And the funny thing was it was like a domino effect because a lot of people left right after that. Uh, And for other people, you know, they they you can either settle and stay there. Right. And and deal with, you know, where you're at right now, or you can try to create that disturbance and hope that it makes a big enough wave that someone sees it and says, all right, we need to make a change.
1: Well, and I I agree because you also, you know, throughout my my career, even uh, as a wounded warrior, um, you know, it was a, a very tough time in my life. But it was also um, a time when I, I needed to continue that leadership. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes you, you, you just want to go home and go to bed. And you're just like, okay, I'm done with this leadership idea. Can I just follow somebody now? Nice. Um, but that's not always the destiny that you're, you're uh, put on the planet for. So what I ended up doing, even when I was a wounded warrior, Uh, You know, we had guys who they couldn't find their medical records or, you know, they they didn't feel they were getting the care. They didn't feel that the doctors were listening to them. Uh, You know, they had headaches, they had migraines, they had different issues. And so what I did was sort of blaze the trail again. Uh, in order to be able to make sure that folks were being taken care of. Uh, and even in my own spare time, uh, I worked with uh, Walter Reed on a couple of different projects, uh, being able to get uh, like books on tape and, and things like that. Uh, because, you know, as you know, when you're laid up in a bed, sometimes first thing is you can't concentrate. And second thing is you really you don't want to read. Uh, you know, sometimes you do, but a lot of times, you you, you know, it's it's difficult to read. You're in pain. So what I did was I looked at the, the, the solution as more of books on tape because you really want to be able to, to continue uh, you know, engaging the mind, engaging the person uh, to you know, keep them engaged in their life. So I worked on that project as a, a separate project on my own. Uh, but that was just one of those things where you, know, you never know where you know, sometimes, sometimes as a leader you want to sit down and you want to be led, uh, and sometimes that's just not going to happen. So you have to, to be willing to you know, grab another cup of coffee, uh, and, and coffee definitely is the nectar of the gods. Um, uh, grab another cup of coffee and, and continue moving in a direction.
0: I tell you what, coffee has been one of my big secret weapons with uh, with just being productive and being able to accomplish more in, in the same amount of time. Uh, if you've never tried it uh, for for yourself and for everyone listening in, uh, Bulletproof Coffee, while it sounds very odd, uh, some people don't like it, but basically it's a tablespoon of grass-fed butter uh, and a tablespoon of coconut oil blended into your coffee, so there's no sugar, there's no added creamer or anything like that, uh, but you chuck it in the blender and you blend it up for like 30 seconds And uh, my roommate, being a personal trainer, swears by this stuff. And when I started drinking it, it's basically all the boosts and effects of caffeine, but you don't get that weird jittery feeling. So just something for our listeners to check out. And uh, I personally have tried it out. I love it. Uh, I feel like I'm wired all day long when I try it. Um, So I can't do it every day. Otherwise, I would just be like the Energizer bunny. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> highly recommend coffee. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this book that that you just put out recently. I uh, would love to hear you know the title and what sort of things you talk about in it.
1: So the the title is applying complexity leadership theory to drone airspace integration. And although that uh, that sounds like a big mouthful, <clears throat> really the book was uh, it was built uh, out of uh, my dissertation. So I did an adaptation of my dissertation. Uh, for my doctorate with this. And what I did was I saw uh, two issues uh, coming out of the book. One is really the idea of how to harmonize uh, the speed of innovation and change with the human spirit's need for leadership. Uh, So part of the book is really about leadership and looking at the idea of right now, you know, we are very uh, um, linear and authoritarian, especially when you look at uh, governments and organizations, um, their matrix. Uh, We're very linear and authoritarian. Uh, The millennials are not going to take to that, and they don't take to it. So if you have a millennial right now and you bring him in and say, you're going to do it my way because I told you to do it my way, what are they going to do?
0: Well, this is kind of like the theme of my life. I I mean, I revolt (coughs) at at any point that I can. Exactly,
1: and that's exactly what's going to happen. So now let's change the paradigm, and that's really what I was attempting to do here. Was shift the leadership paradigm to a nonlinear, non authoritarian, self organized entity. And what I mean by that is, uh, um, what I did was, first thing is, is I, I basically put it against the problem set of drone airspace integration. So I, I wanted to be able to show examples. But let me give you an example of, of a um, self organized entity. <clears throat> There's an organization out there called UAV Aviators. Uh, Patrick Meyer's group. And what they do is they're a group that deals in humanitarian uses for UAVs. And what they did was it's a completely self-organized group. No government uh, is involved. No government said that there was a requirement. Nobody said we have to do this. Uh, Patrick Meyer is basically a guy who uh, he deals in uh, big data. And he understands that drones basically are sensor, you know, a truck for sensors. And so it goes out and gets data. So he created this organization where you can enroll. And again, most organizations these days that are successful are actually self-organized. So if you look at Uber, if you look at Facebook, if you look at all these things, they're self-organized. So uh, he created UAB Aviators, a self-organized entity. Uh, You go on, you sign up on the website. You agree to the terms and the terms basically, I mean, not to, you know, bring them all the way down, but it's basically don't do stupid things. Um, It's not, you know, sign your life away. It's not, you know, 20 government pages worth of regulations or anything else. But the interesting part of it is, is that they're not trying to go outside of the regulatory bodies. They actually have on their website, they have the regulations for um, every single country, what their uh, drone policies are. So when people sign up, they agree if they have a drone, so they, you know, there's different categories. So if you have a drone and you want to fly during a humanitarian crisis, you can do that. Uh, and so what they do is they looked and, and they put all of this stuff together, and they actually have better policies, better regulations, better education, and uh, they've got an amazing group of people out there. I'll give you an example, Nepal. Nepal, they had uh, um, an issue um, several months ago. Four hours before, um, Nepal was even on our radio- radar here in America, and it was really being uh, you know tweeted out there in a lot of news stations and everything else. I got an email about two hours before that from UAV aviators, and they were basically saying, hey, does anybody have assets in the country? Uh, we've got people trapped in buildings. So here's an, uh, a self-organized entity that can do what appears to be more than what the governments can do and what the, more than what a private industry can do because they're self-organized. They're there for their own purpose. And the funny part about that is, is that truly a lot of your organizations out there that are, are successful today, uh, like I mentioned, Uber and Facebook, these are self-organized entities. But at the same time, if you go to corporate America or if you go to the US government right now for policy help, what's the first thing they're gonna do? They're gonna look and say, We we our leadership is linear and authoritarian. Yeah. Even though even though the major companies that are making major money and major shifts in marketplaces are nonlinear, non authoritarian, self organized entities.
0: So basically the government's going to put a lot of obstacles in your way. It's not impossible, but it'll probably seem impossible at first because they're basically going to say there's no way you're going to be able to make this change.
1: Well, the the challenge is is our entire uh, thought process when you look at government policy and governance is designed to be slow. Well, that is a, a real issue, right? <laughs> so right now we have an issue where technology is changing the world faster than our world leaders. Um, and the governments can actually align the policies and governance and rule of law to these new technologies.
0: Mm.
1: Well, if change is the only thing guaranteed to us, we can either fight it or we can align with it and move with it. And that's really where I'm trying to the new leadership paradigms that I'm putting out uh, is moving towards. So right now, the government is still very stuck in the idea of of very linear processes. So to give you an example, the Aviation Rules Committee, uh, when you're looking at the drone issue, it takes approximately five years to change one rule. Technology moves at at speeds uh, uh, that are, are eclipsing this. So, you know we cannot continue along these lines and think that we're going to somehow lead our way out of the, the problems that we're in, or that somehow people aren't going to take it on their own. The drone issue is a perfect issue. If you look, uh, you know, the FAA has had 20 to 25 years to put out, uh, uh, you know, legislation and policies and everything else. They've got a basic framework out there. But right now, You know all technology can be used for good or evil it's really uh, depends on the governance of the leaders on which way that's gonna go yeah Yeah, right (laughs) and right now that's not working out very well
0: yeah and being a videographer I see a lot of this firsthand you know even with the personal drones I've got a guy I'm sending out on Thursday in just two days here uh, with a drone to shoot some footage for me Um, And, you know, they still haven't been able to solidify the laws based on what you can or cannot do with these things. Um, And and so there's a lot of people who are upset uh, that they'll get, you know, yelled at if they take a drone to a state park and fly it around just for the fun of, you know, capturing a gorgeous view of, you know, the Grand Canyon or whatever is, is out there. And so it's. It's really interesting to see that because, you know, most of the people flying the drones are millennials. Uh, So for starters, you know, we are the ones who uh, like to cause a little bit of trouble. I guess... Uh, It kind of begs the question, what can we do as millennials to, um, you know, create a shift in in the government, in the leadership uh, that that has surrounded us and just in the overall uh, community that has been created for us? Because this is what we're inheriting.
1: Well, I think uh, first let me uh, address, you know, the, the drone uh, real quick. I actually own a drone, so, <laughs> so, and I'm not a millennial, uh, but uh, I fly a solo myself. So, and the challenge, again, is that the, the technology can be used for good in the way of, uh, you know, being able to deal with humanitarian. They actually have an ambulance drone that's out there now. Uh, it actually carries a little bit of, of uh, medical supplies and has a phone on it so you can do telemedicine, it's really incredible stuff, but then on the opposite end, you know, you've got people that, you know, um, there was a drone that was used as a weapon the other day uh, in uh, Seattle. Uh, there was uh, a gay, and, uh, gay and, and lesbian rally going on, peaceful march, walking down the street, somebody was filming it, um, one of the, proto- one of the, the uh, people uh, actually flicked the drone off, um, upset the drone uh, user, And uh, he flew it right into her, uh, knocked her out, could have killed her. Uh, But the challenge is, again, because uh, policies and laws and everything haven't caught up with all of this stuff. And they appear to be a a long ways away. Uh, You know, when that occurred, the the police showed up. Well, what's 911 going to do against the drone? Who knows? So they showed up and they, they took the drone. And they put an APB out for um, a white guy with a girl tattoo. Okay, that's not realistic. Yeah. So uh, on the drone issue, it, it can be, you know, good and bad. And keep in mind that you've got crazy stuff that uh, technology is moving out there. Uh, you can actually use drones now to fly over a building and inject malware into uh, somebody's network. <laughs> so the stuff that's out there is absolutely incredible. Wow. So now you know how do the millennials <clears throat> uh keep pushing on this first thing is i think it's it's an education piece and i'm i'm not sure it's you know the millennials job at this point um i do think it's 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 my generation's job um i think the millennials can help uh by kind of taking a deep breath and understanding that you know the the same things that that uh you know my generation says about the millennials um, my father's generation said about me, right? We don't listen. We, you know, we're, we're, we're rebels. We, we just want to do it our own way. Right. <clears throat> but I think that there's a, a radical shift that people aren't talking about. Now radical shift comes down to the idea that, you know, the generations in the past, they looked up to leaders because they had the knowledge and that knowledge came to them from leaders before them. So my generation, the generations before me, we looked up to leaders because they had that, that innate knowledge and, and they could lead. Well, that's not what's happening anymore. The radical shift is, is the Internet age has changed that equation. Uh, the young no longer depend on elders to instruct them anymore. Um, and they can actually you know, sometimes get better information from the Internet than what their elders are giving them, right? So... That's a radical shift that people aren't understanding. So the first thing is I think there's got to be some education out there to understand, you know, how, how do you work with the millennials a little bit better? But then also understand, you know, why do they think the way they do? Why do you think the way you do? Why do you feel that, you know, well, wait a minute, I was trying to make things better at my, you know, at my corporate job, but folks weren't listening. Why was that? And then, you know, how do we basically take an organizational uh, uh, leadership change model and be able to put it in place uh, to get people a little bit more on the same page? But the shift, that radical shift, that one little shift that people are not realizing um, is really the key. The key is, is that, that the millennial age has more information now, today, than my entire generation had. And that is a major shift in in how things are moving and how they look at things
0: yeah and i think it's going to be very interesting to see you know in the next five to ten years Um, how this plays out because, uh, you know, just like you said, technology wise, five years ago, people weren't flying their own drones around that they could buy, you know, in the store for five, six hundred dollars. And, you know, now it's it's totally possible, as you said, to fly a drone over a building, inject malware and probably destroy an entire company. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see how far things progress and and where technology advances to in the future. Um, It's been great speaking with you today. I'd love for you to share, you know, where people can get in touch with you and where people can find your book online so that they can check it
1: out. So you can easily find me at uh, HansMum.com. You can also find me uh, uh, if you just go to HansMum on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Facebook, uh, and then uh, Twitter, and I'm in LinkedIn as well.
0: All right. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me today and uh, waving hello to you from up here in Baltimore. I know we're not too far away, so it's uh, it's a very interesting experience with podcasting. You know, I just talked to somebody this morning in the UK, but it was like two o'clock in the afternoon her time versus you know you're about a forty minute drive away from my house right now. So <laughs> it's it's always something new and exciting. And thank you so much for being a part of that.
1: Technology is a wonderful thing. Thank you. Much appreciated.
0: This episode of The Year of Purpose is brought to you by our brand new book, Life Rescripted. Find your purpose and design your dream life before the curtains close. If you want to be the first in line to receive a free digital copy from me, all you have to do is head on over to www.liferescriptedbook.com to find out more. I've discovered what I think is the world's most effective process to design your path in life. It'd be a shame if I didn't share it. In Life Rescripted, you will discover the number one strategy for determining your life purpose and how you can start a new path today, the 5x life hack rule for accomplishing your dreams and designing your life on your own terms five times faster, the ultimate solution for fear and how you can leverage it right now to make this year your best year yet, and so much more. Reserve your spot in line to get a free copy at www.liferescriptedbook.com and I will see you in the next episode.